name is Andrew. I'm an assistant pastor here at King's. And today I'm bringing to a conclusion our Easter series. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Luke's account of the Easter story. We looked at the anticipation at the Last Supper and Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. On Good Friday, we had a chance to be together and to reflect on the death of Jesus. And then last week, we thought about the resurrection, Jesus being risen from the dead. And you might think, surely, Easter Sunday, the resurrection, is the end of the story. Why is he still going on about Easter a week later? But actually, of course, if we end the story there, just with the resurrection, it leaves things rather open-ended. It leaves some unanswered questions. Questions like, well, where is Jesus now? What happened to him after he rose from the dead? Did he just live for a little bit longer and then die of natural causes? And then also we might ask, given he doesn't seem to be with us in an embodied way today, wouldn't it be better if he'd stuck around? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just kind of looking in, exploring the claims of Jesus, thinking about whether you want to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you think it would be so much easier if Jesus was still around. Then I would know whether or not I can trust him, whether to believe him and follow him. Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus, and you just think, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus was here, embodied with us today in a physical way? But actually, the answer to both of those questions, to where is Jesus now, and wouldn't it be better if Jesus was still here on earth with us physically, are answered by the ascension. And the ascension is the vital last part of the Easter story. The ascension is where Jesus ascends, he goes up to be with God the Father in heaven. And it provides for us the answers to those questions. And the ascension is often overlooked. We can easily forget it as a vital part of the story, but it is just that. It is a vital part of the story, and it is wonderfully good news. So last week, we talked about the resurrection. We saw how Luke tells us of the empty tomb after Jesus had been raised, and then how the risen Jesus appears to some of his followers, a couple first on the road to Emmaus, and then to the disciples gathered in Jerusalem. And then at the very end of his account, the end of the book, he talks about the moment that happened 40 days later. Let's just read what he says, verse 50 in Luke 24. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is what we call the ascension. Jesus ascends, he goes up to be with God the Father. He didn't rise from the dead and then live a bit longer and then eventually just die of natural causes. He rose from the dead never to die again. But his job wasn't complete then. Actually, then he had to return to be with God the Father. Jesus' mission both started and ended in heaven, the dwelling place of God. And what I actually find most striking in those verses from the very end of Luke's gospel is how the disciples respond. Jesus ascends, and the disciples, we're told, return to Jerusalem with great joy. And it kind of leads me with the question, well, why were they so happy? It kind of looks like Jesus has abandoned them. It looks like this is kind of the greatest cosmic mic drop ever. Kind of my work is done, mic drop, I'm out of here. He's gone, he seems to have abandoned them, why are they so filled with joy? They're so filled with joy because they know what they've just seen. They understand what's just happened, why it's so important, why it is such good news. And Luke, the author of this account, helps us to understand that a bit more in his second book. 
You see, he writes Luke's Gospel, and then he writes Acts as the kind of sequel, the next installment, primarily about the kind of early church and how the church got started. And in Acts 1, he gives us a slightly longer account of the ascension, which helps us to begin to understand some of why it's so important and why it's such good news. Let's read what he says from Acts 1, verse 6. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the disciples start with a question for Jesus. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And even that's interesting. Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, and yet they think his job isn't done. They think there's something still to happen. They're kind of saying, come on, Jesus, when are you actually going to finish this thing off? And they talk about the kingdom, which you'll know if you've read Luke's gospel, or actually Matthew or Mark's gospel, you'll know the kingdom was right at the heart of Jesus' preaching, the proclamation, the message he brought. And they're saying, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they say that because that's what pretty much everyone in the time of Jesus who was a Jewish person living in Israel was waiting for and was wanting. For almost six centuries, the Jewish people had lived under the rule of foreign nations. At this particular time, they were under the rule of the Romans. But God had promised that they would be their own kingdom. They would be a free people under their own king And actually, God had promised a particular king who would come, who would establish a never-ending kingdom and would bring with them incredible blessing and incredible goodness. And they're basically saying, Jesus, we thought you were that king. Aren't you that king? When is that kingdom going to happen? When's those promises actually going to be fulfilled? And on the first reading, it might seem like Jesus kind of brushes off their question. They ask when. He says, well, it's not for you to know times or seasons. He's kind of saying, none of your business. But actually, what he then says and what then happens are in part an answer to that question. Jesus' words and then the very fact and the act of the ascension are an answer to the question, when is the kingdom going to be restored to Israel? But to understand that, we've got to know some stuff God had already said, some stuff in the Old Testament. When we read this in light of the Old Testament, we can understand why it's so important we can understand why the disciples were filled with joy by this event. And part of what we learn relates to Jesus, and part of what we learn relates to us. And we'll start with Jesus, the ascension and Jesus. Jesus, at this point, talks about the Holy Spirit and the disciples being witnesses, and we're going to come back to that. And as he does that, or after he said that, suddenly, seemingly without warning, he's raised up into the air, and a cloud takes him away. Just imagine for a moment what you would have thought if you'd been one of the disciples in that moment. This is a guy who you've pinned all your hopes on. You have trusted him. You have seen him falsely accused and charged. You've seen him brutally executed. But now you've known him risen from the dead. 
and now suddenly he's disappeared from you up into the air. How would you have felt? What would you have been thinking in that moment? I think I would have been confused, upset, dumbfounded, worried, angry, a sense of he's abandoned us. And yet the disciples, remember, they were filled with joy. Why is that? Well, it's because they maybe knew something we might not spot. You see, the clue hidden in what happens to a great surprise move to us is a cloud took him out of their sight. You see, a Jew in Jesus' day who knew their Bible knew that was very, very significant. They knew what that meant. They knew it was happening behind the cloud because they knew Daniel 7. Daniel is a book in the Old Testament, famous maybe for some of its stories, stories like Daniel and the lion's den. But Daniel also contains some really important visions that God gives to Daniel. And all of this is happening about 600 years before the time of Jesus. And Daniel 7 is really significant. Daniel 7 starts with a vision of four terrifying beasts. And these beasts represent kings and kingdoms who would rule over the Jewish people before the time of Jesus. And they kind of represent or embody the forces of chaos and of evil on the earth. But then the scene changes and we see the Ancient of Days take his throne. We see God himself enthroned in his dwelling place in heaven. And then Daniel sees these beasts, these forces of chaos and evil, destroyed. And it's at that moment that he looks and he sees something new. This is what he says, Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, notice the clouds, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The disciples there, when Jesus ascended in Acts 1, they knew that this is what was happening on the other side of the cloud. Jesus is the one like a son of man. And you might remember if you read Luke's gospel or any of the gospels, Jesus regularly refers to himself as the son of man. Jesus was saying, it's me. I'm going to be the one who does this. He's the one who has defeated the beast, the forces of chaos and evil, and he now ascends to be with God. And the ascension is not just a kind of going away. It's a coronation. As Jesus ascends and comes to God the Father, he's given dominion. He's given rule. And he's given a kingdom that shall not be destroyed, that shall never have an end. The ascension is the point at which Jesus is crowned as the king over all. When that kingdom promised to God's people becomes, begins to become a reality. And the disciples are full of joy because they know what Jesus disappearing in the cloud means. It means he's the one promise. It's he's the one they've been waiting for. He's the one who's going to defeat all God's enemies, who's going to bring this kingdom to be a reality. And if he's ascended, he is now ruling and he is reigning. So that answers for us, where is Jesus? Jesus, right now, still fully God, still fully human. Humanity itself is in the throne room of God, seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. But of course, we also know that it doesn't always maybe feel like Jesus is ruling and reigning. There are still powers and authorities that oppose God. Chaos and evil are still seen on the earth. And that's because we're in a time of waiting. 
Jesus ascended, but actually it was always predicted there would then be a time of waiting. And again, the disciples would have known this. A classic verse from a psalm, I think the most, uh, most quoted chapter of the Old Testament and the New Testament, Psalm 110, God speaks to the Lord, which is Jesus, and says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. See, Jesus ascended as enthroned. He's ruling and reigning. He holds the decisive victory, but he's still waiting for everything, every last thing to be brought under his feet, to be brought under his authority, still waiting for that victory to be implemented in its totality in full. But that day will come. And coming back to Acts 1, after Jesus has ascended, that's what the angels come and talk about. Jesus ascends, and then these angels, these people in white robes, come and talk to the disciples and tell them, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. They're talking about the time of consummation, the time when this victory is put into its full in every way, when Jesus returns and as the end of the Bible, Revelation 11:15 puts it, when the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus will come bringing that kingdom, and the kingdom of God will fill the earth and the new earth that will come. Jesus, in the ascension, has been enthroned. He is right now ruling and reigning, but also we are waiting for the fullness of that reign to be enacted, to be revealed, and for God's kingdom to come in full on earth. That might then raise for us the question, well, what do we do in the interim as those living in that gap? And even just the question, why actually is that gap there? Couldn't Jesus have brought the kingdom straight away kind of when he first ascended? And this is where we get to the ascension and us. And Jesus helps us with this by the words he says just before he actually ascends in verse 8. He said to the disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Even actually the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, even that was a partial answer to that question the disciples asked. Because in the Old Testament promises, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was always part of what happens when this kingdom is established. It was always a sign of the uh, kingdom of God breaking in, the promises being fulfilled. And here the promise is the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on the followers of Jesus, and it's poured out for a purpose, to give them power, and it's power to be witnesses. You see, as Jesus ascends to his position as king, we are given a new role. We as his followers become kind of royal envoys, people sent by the king, empowered by the king, to proclaim the good news of his rule to the world around us. We become witnesses, as Jesus puts it. Those who have seen and experienced something who then get to present that and proclaim that to others. We are the ones who know there is a greater king on a greater throne ruling over a greater kingdom. We know that one day the kingdom of the world will give way to the kingdom of the Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And we now get to witness to that truth. We get to witness to that truth in our lives. By living as those who are obedient to the king, we proclaim the fact there is a king on a greater throne ruling over a greater king. By being able to move in signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit, we witness to the reality of Jesus being enthroned because healings and miracles are a breaking in of the power of the kingdom of God into our world, our earth, 
And we get to be witnesses through proclamation, through declaring, reporting, announcing that Jesus is on the throne. There is a greater king, and one day that king is coming back to bring a greater kingdom. And that's exactly what this time, the in-between time where Jesus is going and he's coming again, is actually for. It's a time to allow people to enter into this kingdom. It's a time to allow people to repent and to believe, to trust in him. That's why God has left this gap. And in fact, in Acts 1, one of the disciples there at the moment of the ascension was Peter. And a little bit later, Peter wrote some letters. And his second letter in the New Testament, 2 Peter 3.9, he tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Talk about the promise for Jesus to return, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. It's not that we're waiting around for Jesus to come back because God's just kind of taking his time. He's a bit, you know, slow, a bit sleepy at the moment. No, no, it's God's being patient. Peter says, not wishing that any should perish. That's not God's heart, but that all should reach repentance. The fact there's a gap between Jesus' ascension and his second coming, his coming again, actually is an expression of God's heart. It's an expression of the fact that God longs for many, many, many people to hear the good news of the gospel, to repent and to trust in him and to come to saving faith, to come into this kingdom that for all of eternity we might get to live on the new earth with him when the kingdom of the, uh, the Lord and his Christ is ruling and reigning forever. And the way he's chosen to do that is through empowering us by his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses who proclaim that truth and that invitation to people around us. The ascension moves Jesus into a new position, into a new role, but it also moves us into a new position and a new role. Jesus is enthroned as the king over all, and we now are commissioned as royal envoys and empowered to be witnesses to this king. Maybe the band could start heading up at this point. So I think this leads us with the question of, well, are we living in light of the ascension? We can be quite good at living in light of kind of Good Friday and the crucifixion. We maybe relate that to forgiveness of sins. We can be all right at living in light of the resurrection. We might think of the resurrection as being about life and about freedom. But what about living in light of the ascension? Are we, are you, living in light of the fact that Jesus has been enthroned as a better king of a better kingdom? Do you live knowing that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all and live enjoying the the peace and the security that brings to his people? And do you live your life in obedient submission to the King Jesus, even in a world which is often hostile to those who do and hostile to him? Maybe today even the Holy Spirit is going to be highlighting some stuff in your heart and your life that he wants you to bring into submission to him. And are you living as an envoy, an empowered, spirit-empowered witness to this better king? Does your life witness to the truth that there is a king ruling and reigning over a better kingdom? And are you seeking the empowerment of the spirit and the opportunities that God will provide for us, for us to witness to the reality of his rule and of his reign? Jesus has ascended. It's good news that he's not on earth with us now because he is ruling and reigning, waiting for that day when he comes back. Now, friends, it's time for us to live in light of the ascension. We're going to take an opportunity just to worship Jesus, to extol him as king, and to allow him maybe actually to speak to us and challenge us at what it means for us to live in light of that. Let me just quickly pray for us as we seek to respond. 
Jesus, we recognize you and acknowledge you as the exalted, risen, ascended King. We worship you, we magnify you, we glorify you, and we long to be those who live in recognition of that truth. We pray, help us, Lord, to be obedient subjects, faithfully living in light of your rule. And we say, please, Lord, let us be Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses as you have called us to be, that we might proclaim to other people this wonderful, wonderful truth as we live in sure hope and wonderful excitement for the day that you return and you bring with you that glorious kingdom that we will live in and enjoy with you forever. Holy Spirit, we pray just come and speak to us, challenge us, shape us now as we seek to reflect on this truth and to respond to the risen and ascended Lord. Amen.